Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're excited to talk about the release of the 2019 eFields report. Elizabeth and some of our educators around the state have been working very hard over the last year to get these trials in and this report published. We have with us a couple of educators that had a lot of trials in 2019, Jason Hartshoe and Chris Zoller. So uh, would you guys introduce yourself? Jason, go ahead. I'm Jason Hartshoe. I'm a county extension educator in Crawford County. I do quite a bit of work in agronomic crops and then forage crops also. Chris? I'm Chris Zoller, Extension Educator, Ag and Natural Resources in Tuscarawas County. All right. Thank you guys for joining us today. We're excited to hear about what you've done this year. So, Elizabeth, why don't you give us a quick overview of the 2019 report? Yeah. So, 2019 marks the third year of the eFields program. Time is just flying right by. It's been wonderful to get to work with farmers and see the growth and participation and interest in the program over the last few years. So this year we know um, was tough. We started with 155 studies that were planned for the season. We were actually a little bit nervous about whether we were gonna be able to handle that number of trials, um, but Mother Nature kept us honest this year and with the tough spring conditions and extreme planting, we ended up having to regroup. Um, when things weren't getting planted. So we did come back and we developed some new protocols that we could use on prevented planting acres. Uh, we really focused in on the opportunity to evaluate some in-season practices and we ended up ending the year with 88 trials in 30 counties. So a small downtick in the number of trials but a growth in the number of counties that we're, we're covering. So that was very exciting. The report, we also added some information about production budgets and the farm bill. So I think that's some good information. And we really hope that everyone can find some information in there that is useful on their operation. Yeah, I think your team's done a great job of not just sharing these trials, but also other information that's relevant to farmers when they're making um, farm management decisions. So definitely appreciate that. <clears throat> Yeah, those are some of my favorite parts of the report because you can really absorb so much information from some of those informational spreads. And, you know, we can, it helps too. We, we looked at planting progress in 2019 compared to past years. So it really helps you understand when you're reading the research trials, some of the other issues we were dealing with during the season. So where can we find the report? Well, um, if you like to have a print version, those can be requested through your local extension office, or if you're planning on attending any meetings this winter, hopefully they'll be available there. If you're not located in Ohio and would like a printed copy, you can email our team at digitalag at osu.edu and request a copy. There is also the e-version. It's available on our website at go.osu.edu slash efields. And there you can view the 2019 report as well as the past two years report. Right. Awesome. I guess let's move on to talking about some of the trials in 2019. Um, and not just 2019, Chris, because you've been doing the soybean seeding study for several years now. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you've been seeing over the last three years? Sure. Uh, specific to our soybean seeding rate trials, we've done those in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And just recently, I sat down and 
and kind of summarized those trials. And it was interesting to look at the seeding rates and yields. Uh, 2017, our yields, our treatments actually were between 80 and 160,000. There were four treatments. And yields were 51 to 52 bushels. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, we had uh, seeding rates that ranged from a low of 80,000 up to a high of 240,000. And when I look at those yields, uh, bushels per acre on those trials, the, uh, the low was 66 bushels to the acre and the high was 70 bushels to the acre. So it's pretty amazing to look at the, the variation in seeding rate and see that there's really a minimal difference in and yield. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's a trend we've really seen across the whole state for the past three years. And it's something too that uh, my cooperators have, you know, they've thought that was the case. They've, they've read information about that. But to see it actually on their own farm, this is what happened. And, and they're sharing that with, with friends and neighbors and others that they interact with. And uh, it's really driving home the point that that's a one potential way to reduce your input costs and not jeopardize yield. So what are some other trials that you've done? Talk about a couple more that were interesting or just share. So if there's farmers out there listening, uh, might kind of spur a little interest in them doing something similar. In addition to the soybean seeding rate trials that we've done, we've also done corn seeding rate trials each of those three years. Uh, this year we did a, a soybean planting date and a soybean and a um, insecticide fungicide treatment comparing those. And then the uh, another new one for this year, I had a, a farmer who had heard about the program and was interested in evaluating narrow row corn in two different populations. And um, he thought that what he, I think the year before was the first year he'd done it and uh, saw what he thought were good results and wanted to lay out a, a protocol for that. And so I talked with Elizabeth and, and she was able to develop a protocol. And, and so we did that looking at uh, 15 inch rows and 30 inch rows and found that, uh, and then at two different populations. And um, actually the, the 15 inch rows at the higher population out yielded the 30 inch rows at both the low and the high populations. So he's, uh, that confirmed what he thought and plans to do more of that next year. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I especially like that trial because the, your cooperator was particularly innovative in how he achieved those 15 row spacings too. Yes, it was, uh, took some time to, to lay it all out and, and do it properly, but um, he was willing to do that and saw the value in doing it and doing it according to that protocol. And so, you know, it's a 30 inch planner, so we were doubling back on those 15 inch rows, but uh, it worked out very well. Yeah, I thought, I thought the amount of effort that he put in really planting half of that field twice, just in order to learn something was really really interesting and really neat to see. You know, like I said, it, it confirmed what he was thinking. And I've also talked to him since then. And, and uh, I know he's, again, going to do it again next year. Just talked to other farmers about what he has seen and is trying to encourage other folks to give consideration to that as well. So Chris, you're up in Tuscaroras County. How was the planting season for you? Because you mentioned you'd had a planting date study and for several counties in Ohio, it was just being able to get planted the first time was what exactly we uh, we were very fortunate in our part of the state this year uh, compared to folks in western northwestern Ohio. We had a bit of a delay in our planting study, but um, overall the growing season was was really good and and most farmers would say that overall the yields turned out better than what they expected when the uh, planting season started that's great All right so Jason um, 
we were actually able to talk to you about your nitrogen timing and rate trials earlier this year. So you continued that study and maybe give us a little bit of update there and then what other interesting research you have going on too. Yeah, so it did continue that study again this year. It's a really good trial looking at this timings and rates. Is it more beneficial to split the application two different timings early and then a later season application or just putting it all on only having to make one trip across the field? When we talked last time, had mentioned that a lot of the trials were actually showing that that V6, V7 was yielding as good as that late application in 2018 for sure. And we weren't really surprised, but in 2019, that coming back with the late V14 V12 to V14 application is really where we saw the highest yields and the best return on investment. But if you think about 2019, it makes perfect sense. Every time we turned around, it rained again. And it continued with that right through that late June, early July timeframe when we were doing that late side dress. So we had a lot of nitrogen leaching potential there in the study. So it made a lot of sense that coming back, even with the same rates we had had, in the earlier treatment would have increased yield because we hadn't lost as much of it. We were able to get it into that corn plant. It wasn't going off into the environment, possibly causing the hypoxia down in the Gulf or maybe leading to increased algal bloom in the lake. So that made sense. Um, it also added a little bit more confusion and challenges and things for farmers to think about. But it also kind of clears up that idea if you have the equipment. We knew uh, in that growing season, it was a wet year and everything was telling us it was wet. So by having that equipment, making the decision to split your application would definitely be beneficial from what we saw this year. Of course, we want to continue the trial, but into further years and see if we see similar trends. And if it's a year where things seem dry, the corn's growing fast, especially like it was in 2018, then one application at like V7 or V8 may be a good option that can decrease the trips across the field. I think I might have mentioned in that podcast that I was going to be doing some trials looking at nitrogen stabilizers, and I did do that this year. We did two different trials with that. We didn't actually find that the stabilizer significantly increased yield. It was really close. It definitely trended towards a higher yield by using the stabilizer and protecting the nitrogen. But one of the factors, if you look pick up the e-fields and look at that and you look down towards the bottom the cv on those which is the coefficient of variation kind of tells you how variable the field was um, you'll notice that those cvs are a little bit higher and also the lsds are very large so it took a large yield difference to be able to detect it in those trials just because we had a lot of field variation in Crawford County. Rep to rep variation was very large. We did our best to block it out, but just there's variations we hadn't seen in some of these fields in a long time due to increased moisture. I think that's a, a cool point you bring up, Jason, that you can use the statistics to really understand um, how you can interpret that trial. And I think that's one of the, the nicest benefits that eFields brings to the table is that all of these trials are randomized and replicated so that we have that statistical confidence in the results and that can help us determine whether we will see those results again or whether we might see those results again in the future if we try again. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like about the trial and it makes it really nice to talk to farmers as you explain that and they start looking through multiple trials and understand that it works very well. And you'll notice a few of the other trials I did this year, you go towards the back of the book and I'll probably talk about these a little bit more, but there's some forage trials. Some of those have really high variation in them also. And then there's also a few trials that we did 
on looking at nutrient value, nutritional value and yields just coming off of a field that wasn't truly laid out, but trying to put together a data set for farmers of the forages that are out there that they could plant on preventative plant, maybe after wheat, get a forage crop and a cover crop. And I also did a little bit different this year. I think there's two trials. I had one and then there was one over in Western Ohio looking at putting sulfur on soybeans. There's some work coming out showing that as we have lower atmospheric deposition of sulfur, there may be benefits to putting adding sulfur into some of our legume crops like soybeans and alfalfa. So I had a trial this year looking at putting sulfur down through the starter fertilizer system on the planter for soybeans using thiosol. Well, that's great information, especially nice that you took the opportunity to take advantage of the prevent plant situation. Unfortunately, we wish you didn't have to do that, but um, it does give us the opportunity to learn in times like these. And if you guys are interested in listening more about the nitrogen trials, that's episode 34, the nitrogen decision that we did with Jason. So guys, um, I guess it could be one of your trials or it could be someone else's trial, but what are each of yours most interesting study do you think in the report? You're making it really hard, Amanda. You want us to pick out the <laughs> most interesting study. I would really like to say like page one through 218 <laughs> is the most interesting study in the report. Um, I'm not going to, I guess, hone in on one study. I'm going to turn back a little bit towards that. Was the forage trials that we did this year. The reason why those are the most interesting to me is because that's the first time we've had these trials in e-fields and there's, it's really the first time there's been a much work in Ohio to compile this type of data for farmers to utilize. You know, there's a lot of talk about utilizing cover crops to protect the soils, protect the environment. And one of the real challenges with cover crops is how do you use them profitably? It takes a long time to see that profitable return on investment, to see any sort of change in your soil, to see yield increases on your agronomic crops sometimes. But if there's a way you can use those cover crops as forages, that could definitely be beneficial to build a relationship with somebody that's feeding livestock that you want to sell them that cover crop forage to, or maybe just to diversify your operation and add your own livestock that you can use to either graze that forage or feed it as baled haylage or baleage, or maybe you can get it dry as dry haylage. So there's quite a few trials in there looking at different crops and what their yield was for like a 60 day growth. And then there's some trials looking mostly at oats, looking at nitrogen application to that oats. And if we can increase yield, how that changes the nutritional value of it. And one thing we really had blow up in oats this year, and there weren't any resources available anywhere really to tell us what to do about it was crown rust. Crown rust is an oat disease that usually we don't see in Ohio because it's a summer disease and oats is usually off when crown rust shows up. But by growing it as a forage oats, we had fields full of crown rust. And we did a couple studies looking at doing fungicide applications on that. And we didn't really see a yield benefit to the fungicide application, but I'm just starting to work through and it's gonna be posted in the online version of eFields. And there's a QR code to get you there, the nutritional value. And it does look like there's gonna be some digestibility benefits for sure to that fungicide application on the oats. Amanda, it might sound like a cop out, but uh, 
I would kind of echo Jason's comments when you asked that question about the most interesting. Uh, there's so many studies in there, and I looked, as he said, there's over 200 pages in this publication that just the variety of studies uh, that are printed there that farmers, whether it's grain crops, forage crops, could really benefit from, from using the publication and, and getting involved in, and looking at some of the work that's been done and, you know, may spur questions that they have and projects they like to do on their own farm. So there's really not one specific study, but I think they're all really terrific and, and can provide some really great information for farmers. Yeah, I think you guys bring up a good point. A lot of farmers going through this, you know, that's one of our goals is this is primarily driven by farmers and what they want to try on their farms. It's not all extension going out and asking people to do certain trials. So there can be a lot of interest from farmers not currently doing research to get involved and kind of investigate some of these areas on their own farm. I want to I want to share one of my favorite. This year one of the trials that was new that we hadn't tried before was a phosphorus placement and timing study. We'd started talking about this in the spring with all the rain we were getting and the water quality issues that we've been seeing you know, can we change the timing of when we're applying our phosphorus to similar to how we've tried to adjust for nitrogen, reduce the risk of losing that fertilizer. As many of you probably know, we very rarely see a yield response to phosphorus. So we didn't expect that we would see a yield response to phosphorus timing, especially since the rates were the same. But one thing that we did see, we did some tissue sampling and we saw that the phosphorus uptake of those plants and those plants vigor early in the season was different based on whether it was a fall or spring application versus an in-season application. And so plants with the later phosphorus application actually had a higher uptake and higher plant moisture and plant weight. Um, so they were bigger, more vigorous plants. So although that didn't translate to a yield difference, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think it's important that we share information no matter what the results are. A lot of times when we don't see expected results, the information doesn't get put out there, and then that's just as valuable as seeing yield differences, I think. Yeah, and I mean, that's a case where, you know, a lot of us, if we have another spring or fall like we had in 2018 and 2019, there was a lot of concern about not being able to get that fertilizer out. And if we see that there's not a yield penalty, if we had to delay that application into the season, I think that's something that's important to know. And so even though there's no yield difference, you know, there's no yield penalty either. Okay, so we've been doing this since 2017. It's definitely evolved somewhat, but what are some of the trends you've seen, Elizabeth, since you began this project? Uh, yeah, we started out in 2017 with 39 trials in 13 counties. Um, it seemed like a big undertaking back then, but now we've seen a lot of growth and participation in the number of trials we're conducting, which is great. I think the most exciting trend is, is the variety of trials that we've been able to add. Jason talked about the cover crops and then the potassium timing. Uh, the forages have been a great addition, and then small grains. The information about malting barley in Ohio, I think, is very helpful as folks have to make decisions about that. Yeah, that's really important as we new crops like malting barley come into play that we have research on those and can provide farmers the best information available. 
Yeah, I think some of the things we're already starting to talk about next year, we're, we're hoping to add some more information about how some of these practices impact water quality. We know that that's been a big topic with H2 Ohio coming out, and we hope that eFields is going to help farmers make decisions on which of these BMPs are best for their farm. I have a feeling that probably, if not next year, but soon down the road, we might even see a hemp section added as the popularity and the opportunities with that new crop evolve and change. I think you guys have touched on this a little bit, but how have cooperators cooperators been using these results? Uh, from my perspective, Amanda, the cooperators that I've worked with, they, as I mentioned earlier, the for instance, the seeding rate trials uh, have certainly cut those back considerably and not seen a reduction in yield. They've shared the results with friends and, and others who are farming and, and encourage them to look at the reports and, and learn from the reports and, and the research they've done on their own farms and um, make good management decisions. And so cooperator this year, he was a new cooperator that did the narrow row and seeding rate corn trial. Uh, that was exciting for me because he'd heard about the project and, and wanted to do something and, and helps to confirm what, what he had thought to be the case and is interested in doing additional studies next year. So they're really using it to make good, well-informed management decisions that hopefully improve profitability. Yeah, I'm going to echo Chris quite a bit in that. You have the cooperators that you're working with on the trials. A lot of them, or the trial is a question that they have themselves on their farm. So they're using that then to apply across even more acres and change their management practices. On the seeding rate side, a lot of the soybeans are looking at lowering that it's making them feel more comfortable to go to 140 or below that on the nitrogen side really looking at what rates they need and how they can adjust those adjust the timing help justify maybe some of the equipment purchases that they've made and are wondering in their mind did i should i really have bought this and in a year like 2019 that really shown that yes putting those wide drops on the sprayer that was a good investment for them um, I know they had some questions after 2018, was that really the way to do this when we didn't see any yield benefit? We actually saw a slight yield drag to that late season nitrogen, but then in 2019, they saw that yield bump. Okay, this is making sense. This was a good investment. But then you have a lot of other cooperators and farmers across the county. They're picking it up. They're looking at the trials. Um, they may not have the equipment, want to take the time to do trials themselves, but they're reading those results and they're making management practice adjustments based on what they're seeing that their neighbors within the county or surrounding counties are doing to improve their operation, improve yields, improve profitability. And I'm glad you guys bring up the economics and profitability part of it because that's important. Farmers realize that if they can't cover their costs, they're not going to stay in business. And just, you know, we brought in the economic calculator last year for those corn and soybean seeding rate trials. We continued that this year. So just a reminder that we have that available if farmers want to run their own numbers. And so on page 13, you can find the link to that calculator to do some of those calculations relevant to your own farm. Yeah. And big thanks to you, Amanda, for getting that calculator built for us. Well, you know me, I always have to put economics into it, so. <laughs> All right, well, bottom so, line, that's what farmers are interested in, you know, if it's going to make money. And, and, and so it's very important and very useful for them. We hope so. You know, we've got the nitrogen um, economic calculator as well. It's not just all about yields and 
a lot of farmers realize that today. Although we still like to brag about big yields, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, Amanda, you pick this one field that you maximize yield in on like five acres of it. So you have something good to talk about at the coffee shop. Yeah. That's <laughs> and then right. you maximize profits on the rest of the farm. So then everybody else is talking about how you, you know, got the new combine, the new tractor, or, you know, you just bought the farm at the farm sale. And they're thinking it's the big yields, but here you just had the five acres you were talking about at the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone listening to this wants to get involved, do their own research, work with extension to make that a viable trial, um, how can they get involved? So first, if you're curious, uh, I recommend you check out our current protocols and other resources. They're available on our website. That'll give you some insight into what a typical trial entails, uh, maybe give you some ideas. We do want to help you answer questions that will help you improve your own farm operation. So I'm open to ideas. And, you know, one of my favorite phone calls is, hey, I've got a question that I want to answer. How can we put together a research protocol to help answer that question? So reach out to me. You can reach out to the digital ag team or you can reach out to your local extension agent if you want to learn more. And we would absolutely love to work with you. One other thing, if you want to join us, we do have six meetings scheduled around the state. Um, you can sign up for, for those to attend. We'll go over some of the local results relevant to that specific meeting, as well as some of the statewide results. And then there'll be an open discussion about ideas so if you have something and you want to bounce some ideas around with your neighbors, that's a great opportunity to come and hang out with us and hang out with other people who are excited about farming and improving their farm operations using on-farm research. Awesome. Well, thanks to all of you so much for the work that you do in the trials that go into this and the background work, getting this pulled together in less than a month at the end of the season. We really appreciate all of that and the effort that you put in. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. And just to slip this in here in the end, to any of our cooperators who have been listening, we want to extend a big thank you to you because none of this would be possible without you and you wanting to participate with Ohio State to learn together. Right. Well, thank you guys again, uh, Chris and Jason, for joining us. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Amanda and Elizabeth, for having us. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.